Hi, this is Mark Raven. This is a post from February 21st, 2007, actually, but it's gotten a lot of traffic uh, lately. Uh, it was linked to by another website, and I think it's a, a classic story. Uh, it's one of my war stories from GM, and uh, I think it has lessons that are still relevant uh, today in healthcare. So if you'd like to um, read this or, or see it or pass it along, you can go to leanblog.org slash audio four. That's the number four at the end of that uh, address. So the post is titled, GM Got Gamed, or How to Fudge Your Production Numbers. So this was following up on uh, an earlier post about my recent experiences with metrics and processes being distorted in healthcare and maybe my less than perfect lean coaching efforts. And I was thinking back to some of my you know, firsthand experiences I had when I started my career at a General Motors engine plant around uh, 1995. And it's probably the most blatant example I've seen of someone intentionally distorting data, um, but it was totally understandable. I mean, I blamed you know the senior leaders of the plant, not the frontline supervisor in this case. So our engine block line, it was designed for a throughput goal of 92 engine blocks per hour. And we could machine 92 blocks in an hour if everything ran perfectly, but it was rare and extremely unlikely for that to ever happen, you know, running at that 100% pace for an entire hour. Now our plant superintendent, Bob, he was the number two guy in the plant. He decided that 60 pieces per hour was an acceptable number, you know, partly based on productivity benchmarks that were attributed to Toyota, and it was kind of an arbitrary number. And if you produced anything below 60 blocks in an hour, you'd have to explain why. Now, you know, Bob wasn't really um, the listening, problem-solving type. He managed by fear, yelling, and intimidation. And, and there was more yelling involved than listening or, or problem-solving, yet alone any coaching. So anyway, at the end of the engine block line was a mechanical counter that recorded the hourly production counts. And the UAW workers who unloaded blocks from the line dutifully recorded the number every hour on a piece of paper. And it might have typically looked like this across hours in a day, the number of engines produced. 36, 63, 75, 48, 28, 86, 65, 49. So, you know, for that day, it would have been an average of 56.25 pieces per hour. You know, it was not quite up to Bob's standards, although we exceeded the goal of 60 in four of those hours, and we came close to 92 in one hour. But at the end of each day before, I think it was a four o'clock meeting, it might have been a three o'clock meeting, where the plant salaried staff um, would gather to take its daily verbal beating from, from Bob. Um, so, you know, Scott, the production supervisor for the block line, who was technically called a team coordinator, but that didn't really fit. Um, Scott would pick up the counts and do a little daily editing. You know, he would take the numbers and turn them into something that looked like this. Um, dead serious, not kidding. He would basically write down a whole bunch of 60s and a 52 and a 38 um, for the last hour of the day. So it was still an average of 5625 um, but it was much more consistent, you know, too much so, unnaturally so, unbelievably so. Um, so, you know, bad old Bob never questioned these numbers in front of others. I know it's hard to believe that he would believe those numbers. But when reviewing multiple departments at the daily verbal abuse meeting, um, Scott's fudgery helped avoid too much attention that a really bad hour would have brought upon him. And you know, rather than asking 
And why don't we have more hours with 86 blocks? The upper limit of expectations was set too low at 60. And I asked Scott once why he fudged the numbers each day. And his answer was simple. Um, if you can imagine you know, kind of a Michigan accent, um, Bob wants 60 an hour, he gets 60 an hour, he would say. So, you know, other departments got more than their share of the daily beatings. You know, I, I, at this meeting, I had a, a running bet with a coworker each day of whether Bob would say the word you know, pathetic or miserable first in his misguided attempts at motivating everybody. And, you know, Bob always had the same pronouncement for our problems. Uh, we weren't trying hard enough. And apparently more yelling from Bob was what we needed to motivate us, but that never worked. You know, Bob's not trying hard enough fell into two categories, two words he would use, urgency and intensity. We didn't have a sense of urgency. We didn't have the proper intensity. It was sort of like a, a shorter approximation of Mike Ditka, but with a bad toupee instead of a signature mustache. You know, Bob would yell and scream and spit would fly. You know, sometimes he would say, we need more urgent intensity or we need intense urgency if, if things were really bad. So if, you know, all of that yelling and screaming, all of the fear, all of the fudging of numbers got in the way of true process improvement and true problem solving. So, you know, obviously situations like that are part of the reason our plant manager eventually got moved out of the way uh, for a new Numi trained plant manager. And Numi, of course, was the, the Toyota General Motors joint venture plant in California. And so, you know, that leadership change started our road to, re to recovery as a plant. You know, it was never a worker problem. It was a management problem. And our, our new plant manager emphasized that. Um, I, I think that's an important lesson for Lean. You know, what's required is a change in management practices and management philosophy instead of just blaming the workers. So, you know, I think of situations in healthcare today, you know, the, the VA waiting time scandal where local VA leaders were pressured or, or you know, rewarded for meeting a 14-day waiting target that the inspector general admitted was unrealistic. That was the word they used. If we pressure leaders or reward leaders for hitting unrealistic goals, it's more likely that they're going to fudge the numbers than it is that they, you know, if they've got a system that's difficult or impossible to improve. I think we shouldn't blame local leaders for, I think, what is a very natural human reaction to being um, you know, placed in pressure, maybe even having you know, your, your paycheck um, jeopardized, or at least you know, running the risk of losing a bonus that you'd like to get. So things like this happen in healthcare. We focus on a number and we say, hit the number, hit the number, hit the number, um, without looking at how it's being done, or if the number is being fudged. We, we, uh, we've read about situations with the NHS in England where the government set a target you know, that nobody should wait in A&E, uh, the emergency department, for more than four hours. And, and there's a number of dysfunctional things that leaders would do to fudge the numbers. You know, patients would get admitted after three hours and 55 minutes, you know, a suspicious spike in um, length of stay, number of patients that just happened to be there three hours and 55 minutes, or um, you know, ambulances would be kept parked outside the hospital with the patient, which is not providing good care. It's not um, freeing up the ambulance to go uh, care for somebody else because the clock didn't start ticking until the patient was brought um, in through the door of the emergency department of A&E. So I would encourage all of us, uh, anyone listening, to think about situations where people might be fudging the numbers and, and think about instead what we can do to create an environment where people can improve processes. 
So if you'd like to read this, um, or if you will a link to the audio, go to leanblog.org slash audio four, and um, you can go to leanblog.org slash audio to find more information about how to subscribe to this podcast series. Thanks.